The mighty Kong has travelled a long way since we first saw him batting away aeroplanes atop the Empire State Building to the melodramatic strains of the great Max Steiner. CGI now rules when it comes to monster movies, in the way Marcel Delgado's model of the giant ape did back in 1933. But some things in cinema never change, including the way music is used to set an identifiable tone for narrative. I'm Edith Bowman, and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast about the sounds of the silver screen. In the case of Kong, Skull Island, young American director Jordan Voigt Roberts has sought to introduce the familiar sonic stylings of the Vietnam War to the traditional thrills and spills of the matinee creature feature. The results are most entertaining. During the course of our conversation, you'll hear plenty of musical nods to Apocalypse Now and Good Morning Vietnam, and also discover which Rolling Stones track provided the inspiration for Henry Jackman's score. We'll also reflect upon Jordan's previous film, The Kings of Summer, with extracts from composer Ryan Miller's experimental soundscape underlaying the discussion. But we begin on Skull Island, where soldiers go about their business to the pounding beats of Credence Clearwater Revival and Black Sabbath. So this is a podcast about filmmakers and music. So I am thrilled to chat to you, Jordan, because this film and the period that it's set in gives you a wonderful landscape of music to tap into contemporary music, and you use it brilliantly. Thank you. That was actually one of the things that I most got excited about when I pitched them this crazy idea of sort of like 1970s and Apocalypse Now and King Kong and like a Vietnam war movie mixed with like a Harry Housing creature feature. Yeah. was like one of like in the initial sort of like flashes in my brain, it was Choppers and Napalm and Sunsets and then like Hendrix. I don't ever really need to see another Vietnam War movie that has the stones or something playing, but fundamentally there was something so fresh to me about saying, I've never seen a monster movie that gets to play with that soundtrack. And so that was one of the core things that really just completely made me fall in love with this idea. Was it easy to decide what you would use and where you would use it? Yes and no. That stuff always evolves. And honestly, like that whole helicopter sequence that right now is cut to Black Sabbath. For the longest time in the previs, that was cut to Are You Experienced by Hendrix. One of my editors just loved it because there's such a weird, warped sound at the beginning. It was just incredible for a cutting pattern. If you can just get your mind together then come on across to me We'll hold hands and then we'll watch the sunrise 
from the bottom of the sea. But first, are you experienced? Or have you ever been experienced? Well, I have. So for a long time, that was a Hendrix track, and these things just like morph and evolve and change, and, and then the whole sort of movie comes into view, and you're like, oh, actually, this song doesn't feel right here, right now. And then there was a bunch of stuff that like I really wanted that just didn't really work out for whatever reason, and yeah. things like that. There's some really subtle moments as well, and I love that music's written into the narrative. So, you know, you see the record player and these guys who have spent years in Vietnam and just want to get home, and this music being the connection, I guess, to their real lives. You've got some big hitters in there, Bowie and stuff. Was that something that was in the script, or was it something that you talked about? Or No, well, that was that... all. I mean, when I came out of the movie, it was a completely different film. That film took place in, like, 1917 and was a completely different story with a completely different set of characters. So with me falling in love with this idea of saying, God, I can use all this incredible music, there's the possibility that this music could be coming from within the movie. And also, you got to understand, I come from indies where you can't afford a track that you you know, yeah. if you get lucky, you have to like recreate something, you have to like make that work. So where were the spiders? While the fly tried to break our bones. Well, just the beer like to guide us. So we bitched about his fans and should we crush his to have a music budget is so insane, but because I knew music was going to be so important, there were these devices, whether it was intentional sort of homages to Apocalypse Now of them playing the reel to reel on the helicopter, oh, yeah. or specifically, I had to really work hard to reverse engineer this idea of like, well, they're taking a record player with them, because why not? Like, it's, yeah. it's Vietnam, they want their music. But the reason I wanted the record player with them was not just because of the people of that era and soldiers in that war so intensely identified with the music of the time, but I was really obsessed with the idea that there could be sequences that have the actual music playing. funny that they were like well there's like diegetic versus non-diegetic which <laughs> which is like a, a term that just means like is it coming from in the movie or is it coming from out of the movie yeah and even when they were teaching us that term they were like you know no one ever uses this so don't ever say that out loud you sound like an idiot <laughs> i was like okay okay <laughs> The 
there was a bunch of weird set pieces in the movie that I wanted music playing during. Yeah. Like during that Boneyard sequence, I actually wanted the record player to like fall out and just to start playing a song. And I was like, well, that's too crazy. And then at one point they were on the boat at night. You know, right now a character like gets taken away and gets killed in the silhouette in the sun. And that was at night at first. And the record player was supposed to be playing and I wanted Fly Me Up to the Moon by Sinatra to play. <laughs> And so I just, I just love the idea that like there's the possibility that this music could be coming from within the movie and not just outside of the film. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. In other words, in other words, I love you. Can we talk a little bit about Henry Jackman with the music yeah, and why he, he was the right man for the job? I kind of know him through his work with Matthew Vaughan, Kingsman and X-Men and big productions. What was that relationship and when did you guys start the conversation and what were those conversations? Well, I was a big fan of his, but also, uh, have you ever sat in a room with him? No. He's I one don't. of those dudes that like, I feel like I can be a relatively like charismatic and entertaining dude and then you put him in a room and you're like, well, I might as well just leave because this guy's <laughs> incredibly charming and incredibly talented. And I have an interesting relationship with music and, and composers because I'm kind of musically stupid but I'm also very specific about it music to me is very cathartic because I can't so intricately explain measures and bars and things like that as I can things in film but I can tell you what I feel and so A, I needed someone who was going to be down to sort of experiment because like Kings of Summer was a super difficult process of saying I kind of want the soundtrack to be like a weird mix of a throwback score that has a theme and then also I wanted to have like this 8-bit video game element to it with this I, I just got on the phone with him talked to a lot of people and I said look I want a soundtrack that has like a classic theme to it like I miss themes that you can hum but more specifically one thing that I really want to explore and this is going to take experimentation is I want the score itself to have elements of the acid rock of that time I want to I want to like have the weird soundscape of like that electric Hendrix guitar and that psychedelic guitar and I want to see if we can like fuse that into the score itself. just the guy who 
was most excited about that idea. It was like, yeah, you know, that's crazy. That's a crazy idea. Let's figure it out. Yeah. You know, and, and, he, and that would have been a really easy thing to say yes to and then slowly abandon over time. And he's just amazing like that where, I mean, his, his, his work on the, the score itself was incredible, but then to really, like, go and figure out what that meant to fuse that, like, psychedelic soundscape and the sounds of the era, and they're specifically kind of associated with, like, Packard, uh, Sam Jackson, and his men. Like, that's one of the elements of the score that I'm actually most proud of. of like an extension almost of the soundscape of that time. Honestly, the notes that were almost most influential to me that I gave him, and I was like, oh, we gotta figure this out. It's the first couple notes or bars of Gimme Shelter. Before that song kicks in, just the you know, like that, that, that it's, it's so melodic but like calming and it doesn't sound like a song you don't know what instrument it is you don't even know what instrument it is you know it's like i like and i'm i'm musically stupid so i'm de i definitely don't even know what instrument it is but yeah it's a, it's this weird thing and it doesn't sound like a song and it doesn't sound like a score that helped us like solidify the time period because once you get to the island it is a little bit timeless like you're losing all of your sort of visual cues to some degree but being the 70s yeah. so it was an additional element to help ground that to say hey we're still in the 70s but yeah then it also doesn't feel like score it's this mood and it's this tone that's just taking you sounds of your various monsters as well well i mean i worked with the, the geniuses at skywalker sound uh, wow who, yeah I mean, well, <laughs> yeah and that's this that's this thing we're like they're super cool because those guys make so much money up there on these big movies but like they've been going to sundance the last couple of years and just like finding films they really like and being like hey let us do the final mix right. for you 
so they did that for Kings of Summer when we were doing Kings of Summer and we were like doing this the final sweetening and do, putting all these weird forest sounds and whatever I was like can we steal like the bird sounds from Endor or like Dagobah put them in and they're like yeah we've got that library so they just have access to all that stuff Coppola's The Conversation, yeah. right? I'm obsessed with that movie, but I love the static, the broken up static for the recordings. It's so like analog and weird yeah. and you just can't make that digitally anymore. And I was really obsessed with the idea of the radio static for the soldiers being a, a weird combination of the probe droid from Empire Strikes Back and the radio static in The Conversation. And they were like, well, we just have all those sounds. Should we just listen to those? Fox 8 is down, Fox 4 is down. Respond, Fox 3. I give notes like that is like, well, I don't want the, I don't want the uh, skull crawler to sound like something that you've seen before. So can it sound like a dying rabbit? And I'll just like give a dumb note like that, and they'll look at me and be like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then, and then they'll come back to me with something amazing. And for me, working with those guys is such a dream because you do have to make these like unique creature sounds, but it's so hard to make something that feels fresh. We've now seen so many creatures. It's like you can so clearly identify the sound the predator makes, you know, like the clicks. You can so clearly identify the sounds of so many creatures, but there's so much of it now that it's so hard for these things to feel unique. And so it was such a great and weird challenge to be able to go to them and say, like, oh, we need these things to sound different and weird. Sometimes you can only push that so far, but it was amazing. thinking about coming to chat to you and thinking about all those Vietnam films and the one for me that I musically go back to again and again and again is Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams. So let's check in the field now. Hey, uh, hi, can you help me? What's your name? My name's Roosevelt Lee Roosevelt. Roosevelt, what town are you stationed in? I'm stationed in Poon Tang. Well, thank you, Roosevelt. What's the weather like out there? It's hot. Damn hot. Real hot. Hot in things is my shorts. I can cook things in it. Little crotch pot cooking. Well, can you tell me what it feels like? Fool, what is hot? I told you again. Were you born on the sun? It's damn hot. You can be a little thing. I saw it so damn hot. I saw one of those little guys in the orange robe burst into flames. It's that hot. You know what I'm talking about. Well, what do you think it's going to be like tonight? It's going to be hot and wet. That's nice if you're with a lady, but it ain't no good if you're in the jungle. Thank you, Roosevelt. Here's a song coming your way right now. <laughs> 
a radio DJ, but it's what they're listening to and stuff. And I, I really found beautiful little moments within your film that really reminded me of that as well. Well, I think more than any other war, you know, like World War II was like a war of heroes and villains, right? And Vietnam was not. And more so than any other war, you know, at least cinematically, Vietnam is the most musical for sure. Man, please don't go. that is because of the music that was made in that era but then part of it is just also what filmmaking was at that time and how explosive film itself was at that time so whether or not it truly was like the most musical war i think that's how people certainly perceive it i'm sure music's a huge part of things happening today yeah. but you know you don't think about like world war ii <laughs> We'll meet again, that's lovely at the end of the film. Was that easy to get? Well, meet again actually was easy to get. However, that was not in the script. John and I, I can't say enough great things about that guy. Like a lot of things in this movie are improvised with him. A lot of his big, huge moments, highly, highly improvised of like me and him just on set fucking around. That's the world that I come from. I love improv as a filmmaker. I yeah. just think it's about failing boldly and bravely and finding shit. And not just about being funny, but about being real. What the hell is this place? That's calm. He's king around here. Kong's pretty good, King. Keeps to himself mostly. Well, you don't go into someone's house and start dropping bombs unless you're picking a fight. Kong's God on the island, but the devils live below us. And what are they called? I call them skull crawlers. Why? I never said that name out loud before. It sounds stupid now that I say. Just you call them whatever you want. But. I really love characters singing in movies. I really wanted a moment in this film where the soldiers were like in Full Metal Jacket when they're singing the Mickey Mouse song. Yeah. I wanted a moment where they were singing and I could cut a montage to it. And it just it just never found its place in the film. And the studio would have thought I was crazy. John wanted to sing a song when he left the Iwi village, and I was like, that might be a little weird. And then he brought up We'll Meet Again to me. We were in Vietnam, we were on that boat, literally our second to last day of shooting, and I was like, I have no idea if this is gonna be in the movie, but John, like, sing this song. And he just sang it. It starts as someone singing, and then it transitions into an actual source cue. That was just one of those weird, happy accidents that we could have never planned for, but John just knew the song and crushed it.
but that's really lovely because the film has a great tone to it as well and I love how you're talking about the music complementing that tone that you've created as well. First of all, I, I think for the rest of my life as a filmmaker I'm probably going to always get the notes of like, you have too many mute needle drops and it's too montage -y. Too montage -y. I mean, I, have you, did you see Kings of Summer I in my last Kings film? I Kings of Summer. <laughs> I mean, that whole movie to me was like, can I make a dumb Terrence Malick movie? Which is to say like, can you make like an ethereal, lyrical, like impressionistic film that has like Nick Offerman telling dick jokes? So there's a lot of needle drops in there and there's a lot of montage and, and there's a lot of the same things in this film and I, you know, if you've seen Kings of Summer, you know, like tonally actually these movies in a weird way are sort of similar in the sense of like I love absurdity and I love shit that doesn't belong in scenes. Both those movies start as sort of different films and then as they go on they kind of unravel into something else. Can we talk a bit more in depth about Kings of Summer because I remember that film coming out and I remember it being one of those things where you, you'd you say to your friends, have you seen it yet? You have to see it. It's brilliant. You'll love it. And then no one saw it. And no, well, no, I know, well, I know a lot of people here who definitely saw it because there's just something so beautiful about Thank you. that story. And yeah, I would, I would really love for you just to, to kind of go back there for a, for a minute or two and, and tell me about it and, and what oh, that experience boy. was like for you, if you can remember. Um, I mean, it's not that long ago, but yeah, it probably it feels like, like a lifetime ago. For honestly, you. this like might be the most interesting question I've gotten. <laughs> oh wow! In a long time, trying to put myself back in the headspace of Kings of Summer. That was a really special experience. I had been out in Hollywood for a long time trying to make a movie. I was not one of those directors who like made something, became super hot, and then people wanted to give movies to it. I've been making shorts forever. I've been making all sorts of stuff, and it was such a battle to like slowly claw my way up. No one wanted to give me a movie, and honestly, like, I was getting to the point where I was like, uh, I guess I'm either gonna quit or I'm going to just go make my own movie or something. And a script came to me. Actually, several people had sent me the script and I never read it. Very good friends of mine. They were like, you would love this movie. And then it got sent to me and I read the script and my honest response was sort of, okay, awesome, but why did you send the script to me? Because there's no way a director is not attached to this. Like, it's too funny. It felt like I had wrote it and I did not. And Chris Galetta, the writer, and I, somehow him and I are just like very simpatico souls with a very similar sense of humor and point of view. such a hard movie to get made no one wanted to make it because it doesn't hinge on an adult so you can't really put movie stars as the main characters because it's about these kids and I just remember going off and to make that movie and thinking okay either this has to be better than everything that I've ever done ever in my life or I go home and I, I was able to like fight and bring on my DP and, and bring on a lot of my people that had been coming up with me over the years and, and we just I remember sitting down for dinner and be like like either we like swing really hard right now and we either whiff or we try and like knock this out of the park, but like let's not get on first. To me, I'm just such a weird nostalgic person, so it was so based in the moment about like 
time in your life when you think you have the world figured out most. When you're like that young kid and you think that you understand the world better than everyone. And, and really the only way to find out that you don't is by falling really, really hard on your face. First of all, if you don't have that moment where you fall on your face, I think you're probably an awful person. And secondly, I think that moment when you fall on your face right then at that age, I think for me at least, up until this point in my life, I think how you pick yourself up from that individual moment defines how you're going to pick yourself up for the rest of your life. Tools out of the driveway now. No, who's this, Patrick? Kelly. Kelly, a girl. That's a pleasant surprise. Dad. Listen, Kelly, Joe can't talk right now because he's grounded. He will call you back sometime before his hot new bedtime of 7.30. You have a good night. My house, my rules. This ends today. Yes, it does. obsessed with that idea and I was obsessed with this idea of like making something that was really beautiful but also like laugh out loud funny. My name is Jamal Colorado and I have kidnapped your son. He is unharmed and will stay that way if you abide by the following rules. Jamal Colorado. Anfernee, Texas. Deshaun, Utah. Yeah, I decided on the format of Denzel Washington, a black first name followed by a state. Yeah, I'm not using those. Okay, Biagio, good effort. <laughs> Although very poorly planned out and um, savagely racist. And it was such a special experience making it with, like, those kids are like my brothers and like my little brothers and sisters that I don't have. And, uh, you know, it, it was such a weird experience just because you make this thing and then no one sees it. <laughs> so, you say that, I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be very surprised. I've got two boys, they're eight and four, and I can't wait to show them this film because I almost think it'll be a moment for them. Especially my eight-year-old Rudy. There's so many elements of his character I see in this film. It's really interesting because it's a tough movie to tell someone like really what the age of it is. Yeah. You know, like to me, I view it as a movie for like 25 and up. Whereas there's a lot of like teens that will travel to Ohio to find the pipe the kids were banging on or like <laughs> get tattoos from it or things like that. And it's interesting how these things have different meaning for people. There are filmmakers who are like, I'm making this for me. And I'm just not that guy. My favorite moment of all this is actually like when it ceases being my thing and ends up being somebody else's thing. And you just, you watch the way that it sort of has meaning to people. Because there, there are things in that movie that like, you know, you talk about improv, like that whole pipe thing. Then like literally that is recorded. The audio for that is recorded on my iPhone. That was, yeah. a, that was a moment where me, yeah, me and my DP, my writer, 
we took the kids out on a Saturday. We weren't shooting, and just like a lot of that montage stuff was just shot on weekends without any crew. I just want like boys being boys. Yeah. I just want to like capture that like that essence of, of what it was. And like I said, I just was obsessed with the idea of a dumb Terrence Malick film. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Is it funny or is it not funny? You can't have both these tones. You can't play with tone like that. And then you're like, yeah, but what about a Pixar movie? They play with tone, and they're like, yeah, but that's animated. And it's like it doesn't matter. I'm really proud of the tone and Kongs. It's it's weird. Yeah. It's very weird. And and I think that people will go with it. So we'll see. that you remember watching that had that tone that have made a lasting impression on you? Well, almost look at any movie from the 70s or 80s and I promise you most of those movies have at least one scene. They're like, oh, that is way different than the rest of the movie. But to me, one of the big ones was Annie Hall. Not only like plays with tone, but then just it it it's such a fuck you to the traditional idea of like what storytelling is. You know, you just like you're breaking the fourth wall. You have these animated things. You're like it's just like and it's not like you're doing that consistently. You're just going with it. There's an old joke. Um, two elderly women are at a Catskill Mountain resort, <clears throat> and one of them says, "Boy, the food at this place is really terrible." The other one says, "Yeah, I know." And such small portions. Well, that's essentially how I feel about life full of loneliness and misery and suffering and unhappiness and it's all over much too quickly. Right now I really love South Korean films because they play with tone more than anyone. As a whole I find that those films like just completely turn sort of genre conventions on their head Yeah. Um, and I really love that and I just really appreciate things that fuck around with tone. Beyond South Korean stuff which I highly suggest you watch if you haven't seen. I was about to ask for some recommendations. Watch yeah. Bong Joon-ho's The Host. There's a scene in The Host that's so sad and like tragic and then becomes like slapstick funny and you're like what the hell Bad and the Weird by Kim Ji-Woon is such a reinvention. It's like a Korean spaghetti western.
there's like I Saw the Devil and this movie just came out The Wailing that's super weird and funny and dark and scary and like an exorcist movie and like you don't even know what it is I just can't more highly recommend you do a deep dive on that stuff I'm going in do it I'm going I, will, in I will send deep. you a list <laughs> Listen, it's an absolute pleasure to, to meet you and to chat to you and congratulations on Kong Skull Island. It is a real journey and like you say, it's weird, which is brilliant and I love it. Bring us more weird stuff. Uh, I will try to bring you many weird things. Thank, thank you. This was uh, this is the best conversation I've had in uh, um, not just like on press, but like in a long time. So thank Dude, you. Thank you so this much. Is, this is really wonderful. Pleasure. Yeah. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. Mother gives you Don't do anything at all Go ask Alice When she's ten feet tall And if you go Chasing rabbits And you know you're going to fall Tell them all From the soundtrack to Kong Skull Island, that's White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Jordan Voigt Roberts. My huge thanks to Jordan for taking the time to talk to us. What a dedicated student of cinema, new and old, he is. Skull Island is on general release now around the world with Henry Jackman's score available via Water Tower Music. Now you can find a full track list for the show via edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. Next up is Bill Condon who had the huge task of reworking the Disney classic Beauty and the Beast. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.